Right now, though, we are talking about Corporate Wellness Week. Dr. Tsidi Gule, who is the founder of the Medispace Lifestyle Institute, Tsidi Gule prefers to be known as Dr. G. What's up, my G? Good evening. <laughs> Hi, Sangeza. How are you? What a I'm fine, show thanks. How tonight, are you? Hey? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes, indeed. It's, it's quite busy, and you're going to make it especially interesting when we talk about money, I know people are listening. When we talk about corporate wellness, people are especially listening, especially in these times. So without an even question to prompt you, tell us, corporate finance, or I mean, sorry, corporate wellness, what is this all about? What should we look forward to? What should we do? How should we adjust? How should we hold our employers to account as employers? What, would, what should we require more from our employees? Speak with an open mandate. Good evening, Doc. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. What a mouthful. Well, I'm definitely going to try and get on top of all those questions. But I think um, the starting point is is really kind of demonstrating for people who might not understand or have not encountered corporate wellness what the different facets are. Primarily, it's looking after what we believe is the primary asset of an economy, which is its people. Um, and when you look at the South African landscape, the big focus areas when it comes to corporate wellness or employee wellness, as I'd rather put it, is looking mm-hmm. at work-life programs that are there to advance the physical, mental, and emotional health of the employee. The goal usually for companies is largely about driving productivity, performance, and of course, where possible, retention. So the programs vary based on what the focus areas are, but it does include things like counseling, You do have in-house wellness services. You look at employee assistance programs known as EAPs. I think those are the biggest ones in South Africa at the moment. Mental health counseling, which is starting to accelerate in this country. You also look at things like flexible work schedules, which I'm I'm sure some of you can appreciate right now with COVID-19. That is probably being the largest focus um, in terms of physical space with remote work coming to play. And then, of course, there's group wellness activities from fitness to campaigns to health promotions and general activation. The, the key area here is that it should be driven around advancing the employees. And I think that's primarily why Corporate Wellness Week this year is probably top of mind for most employers. Because often, at just a category, it's a grudge purchase for companies. They do it to tick off the box to make sure that they you know, oblige some kind of occupational health and safety um, requirement. However, when you look at the impact COVID-19 has obviously had, in general, Mm. on adults Mm. and children, the level of disruption in workplace culture, in workplace communication, as well as in leadership style, it's necessitated that we review and revise exactly what the goals and objectives of corporate wellness should be. Um, Fantastic. Let me ask you, sorry, sorry, Doc, sorry, Doc. I'm I'm going to ask you because I know you're about to get into it and I don't want you to get into it before this (laughs) ad break. So we're going to focus on EAP, counselling, mental health wellness, particularly being on the rise in these times, flexible work schedules, group wellness activities, and how all of this 
is actually for and about advancing the employee, which is news to me because as implicit in the name, I would have thought corporate wellness is about the organization. That's why I understand you very well when you talk about being a grudge purchase and a tick box effect because even my own understanding of corporate wellness was probably more in the interests of the employers than it is the that or those of the employees. You're going to unpack all of that. I'm inviting the listeners then to participate in this conversation. Please surprise me. New callers. 891 Voice notes as well. Let's have like 10 voice notes, one after the other, engaging Dr. G, the founder of the Medispace Lifestyle Institute. After the ad break, she continues. Tweet at SFM Radio and add Songhezum there. We are back with Dr. G, otherwise her real ID name as known by the Department of Home Affairs is Tsidi Gule, who is the founder of the Medispace Lifestyle Institute. We're talking because today marks day three of Corporate Wellness Week, an opportunity for raising awareness of surrounding the need to create a healthy work environment. Some five key elements, EAP and employee assistance programs, counseling, mental health, flexible work schedules, group wellness activities, and how all of these together, like a hand, are supposed to advance the employee. Carry on, please, Dr. G. <laughs> I just wanted to speak to what you were saying about your initial understanding of a corporate wellness program sure. being for sure. the employer. Um, it, it should make absolute sense um, to employers that having healthy, productive employees does benefit the company. So as much mm. as employee programs are driven to keep employees healthy, the culture that it creates um, it does activate other benefits. One of them being increased creativity and productivity. Um, and if you have engaged, active, and productive employees, it goes, it goes to reason that you're going to produce quality work and the kind of work that keeps the bottom line um, churning over and over again. You want positive outcomes at the end of the day. Most organizations do. However, one of the biggest frustrations we often hear from decision makers in organizations is that Employee wellness programs often don't have tangible ROI um, indicators in terms of return on investment. And that's probably mm. why employees sometimes take a long time to buy into their value. And so one of the most critical things we obviously had to do at our institute is to introduce programs with very specific qualitative and quantitative ROI. Because the beauty of very well-run employee programs is that you can prove their value both in a monetary sense as well as obviously in what we call a, an employee experience um, sense. And the first thing for me that's really important for employers to appreciate is that if you regard your employees um, as an asset to the company, you will naturally want to invest in their ability to continue <coughs> to be productive at work and not just be present. There's an interesting culture um, that a lot of people are very familiar with called presenteeism, where an employee is at work, but they are not producing because their mind is elsewhere or they are not well, but they're feeling forced to come to work and sit on that chair, but they're not producing quality work. And that's the beauty of effective wellness programs is that you get a quality <laughs> employee, employee who uses their time well and produces the kind of work that assists the company's bottom line. 
that speaks to then the responsibility of those in leadership of those organizations to be able to spot those employees because it invariably is a symptom of an underlying cause. Is one at home okay? Is one going through financial difficulty or mentally? So let's then get into these things. When employees use these services or need these services and these services are not responding or responsive to the needs, what then is required of the employer to ensure that it's not just a grudge purchase made for the purposes of ticking a box, but to create for a meaningful change in the lives and experiences on the persons that it employs so that ultimately that organization's bottom line, if it's service, if it's profit, or if it's advocacy, whatever you call it, is advanced because their most sacred stakeholder, the person who works there, is well looked after. Right. I, I think uh, I really love this question, Songye, though, because um, I do recall a conversation with a good friend of mine, Tavani Kumalo, on just, for example, the COVID strategy and how different companies are translating it um, and how not all companies are using what I call quality <coughs> information to inform the procedures to protect their employees and how that simple information gap can result in miscommunication to employees not understanding and perhaps also not appreciating if their safety is being prioritized or not. The first step for me um, is how wellness programs are communicated from the top down. Um, if an employee is a very interesting stakeholder, they, they can understand and appreciate when if something is not prioritized or taken seriously by how it's communicated to them. Um, one of the most important things is normalizing the language of we care. I think organizations feel that if they start to focus on what I call soft language, that it will take away the performance, high-driven, high-impact conversations. You know, we live in an interesting world where both dynamics matter. It's important for us to be heroes, but it's very important for us to be human in our heroism. And wellness is that soft touch. And it gives you... Uh, an opportunity as an employer to connect with your employee in a different way when you are able to establish programs that, for example, speak on mental health. And employee assistance programs are probably one of the most comprehensive ways of trying to open that caring door, as I like to say. Because one, it addresses mental health programs, so mostly with very comprehensive EAPs, you do have telephonic counseling as an option. You have counseling in legal matters in some companies, and then you have counseling to discuss financial distress. These are some of the top three personal and interrelationship matters that can affect an employee's well-being. So you can, in one program, try and address everything. However, nothing can shortchange the impact and the value of what I call face-to-face care. And I think more organizations are starting to realize that as much as it's good to have services available, it's even more important that the employees utilize the services. And you've seen a trend increase in what we call in-house services where they can connect physically with that wellness care provider, engage them, and you tend to see better results long-term with those kind of solutions. But all sure, in all, let's take some- when it, yeah. No, no, I I just wanted to bring in TK in Cape Town because there's a caller in Cape Town who wants to engage. And I suppose this is as good a time for me to announce that lines are open for at most another 10 minutes from now. So you best believe we will not be taking calls in five minutes from now because that's when we will be looking to wrap up the conversation. And besides, I'm enjoying my one-on-one date with Dr. G. She and I could talk forever whilst you guys listen. TK, Cape Town, good evening. Thanks for your time. 
Dr. G. Um, so there's, um, I'll listening to your um, conversation about uh, corporate wellness. Uh, now, mine is just going to be short. In light of uh, corporate wellness being something very vital, um, I think it should also be important to highlight in your conversation that big uh, corporates, especially top management and uh, middle management, are so out of touch with uh, their staff and the staff contingent in their companies or corporations that they have in terms of their uh, essential needs when it comes to wellness, uh, not just uh, corporate wellness, but the general well-being of their employees because you find uh, a lot of uh, top management not really in touch with something that they dedicate to someone to do or take care of, but I think uh, the people who are top management need to understand the employees that they hire in their companies and what are their wellness needs. It doesn't need to be just about um, the workspace, but outside of the workspace because uh, employees go out of work and goes to their environment outside of work. They deal with a lot of issues when they come to work. Those issues that they deal with outside of the work environment are issues that uh, translate to them going back to work, not being effective and not being productive. And the demand of the employees that they need to always deliver, perform, and deliver back. And the employee needs to really look at what is really going on with the employee. They don't look at such issues that this is a human being. has a life outside the professional space for the work environment. So I think we need to get some this. Thank you so much, TK. Respond to that, please, Dr. G. Respond to just what he says, because I do have a follow-up in relation to the thesis of that conversation that he was trying to get out of it. Right. I think TK raised some very, very good points. The first point that he raised is what I, is what I was alluding to, the communication gap because of poor leadership buy-in. Um, I'm a very big advocate of if you don't have the buy-in from the top for a wellness program, it is likely to fall flat within 12 months. And in most cases, we've seen that because if exco middle management do not buy into the importance of the employee wellness program that's been put in place, it's likely not going to be promoted properly um, all the way down. And so most employees then feel that lack of, um, I guess, sincerity. And wellness is a people-driven model. And it requires the second point TK made, which I totally also agree with and, and we do push even at our institute to companies is you need the right experts to drive your wellness program. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, corporates hire people who have no appreciation or understanding of wellness, never mind any medical knowledge. And sometimes they're, they're, they're surprised that when very well-crafted in theory programs then fail. And it's important because I always demonstrate this. You wouldn't hire for a CFO position someone who's not appreciative of the different financial instruments and financial modeling uh, needs of a company. Why would you hire someone who doesn't have that? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I knew that last just exchange. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I totally understand what you just just said there. But um, let's pretend that we're in a great company. You wouldn't hire. If it was you and I, we wouldn't hire people um, who aren't experienced or at the very least well-versed in the language um, of that of that portfolio. So a lot of the failure of wellness programs is also often 
alluded to bad conducting. You've either got a bad conductor or a poorly led conductor. And I can't always blame um, the individuals who get caught in, this, in these positions, but organizations are trying to understand they need the right players in these positions so that their programs actually succeed. Here's my follow-up on that. At yeah. what point is this wellness the responsibility of the employer? At yeah. what point is Songhez or supposed to take ownership of his life and his right. challenges that are personal right. to him that are taking place outside the organization that do not mm. spurn from his work? in this particular yeah. organization. I've got problems with my child or with my wife, or I'm sure. paid well, but I have a drinking problem because every 25th of the month, for me, that's a signal to abscond work until maybe the 7th of the following month because now I'm running out of money. Problems which are inherently mine and not mm. that of the organization. At what point then am I required to take responsibility? I love that question. So I want to address it first on the human nature perspective. Um, it is widely understood, and this is a, actually a, a scientific uh, approach and philosophy, that human nature, when in distress, tends to fluctuate between extremes. So if you're in any distress, whether it's uh, physical, mental, financial, etc., you fluctuate between two extremes. It's either paralysis or you go into overdrive. So in most times, um, the well-balanced, employee is going to be in between. It's going to have a bit of both. They might panic, but they then have a sense of agency and they find solutions. In that gap, what you want as an employer is that that employee's, how do I say, the, the crisis period does not impact, one, the rest of the employee, but number two, it does not lead to a company crisis. And that's why for me, um, I want to come in with at what point does the employer play a role? If you understand that human nature says when in crisis, people tend to fall apart before they come back together, you would want to create a channel as an employer where they can get the help quicker so that they recover quicker. That is, that is so much as your goodwill nature as an, employee, as an employer because ultimately corporate wellness programs are at the discretion of the employer. Only occupational health and safety requirements legislative legislatively are an obligatory thing to put in place. But wellness is at the discretion of the employer. The employee ultimately has got to be reminded at every stage of life that he or she is accountable to his or her well-being. It does not hurt to have an organization who then creates the channels of support for employees who find themselves in distress because also the longer we work at our respective organizations, the more life events we're going to experience. And so it is part goodwill of employers putting corporate wellness programs, but it's also a really smart strategy because you get employees who are, one, identified quicker when they are at risk and therefore recover quicker and you have a healthy company for it. Okay, on that point. Now, you've got these services, EAP, counseling, mental health. I'll leave it there because to lesser minds, this is an expression of weakness for Songhez or to walk into these programs and openly go. admit, I need help. Somebody yeah. else who is on the same level as I am and we both have the same ambition within the organization and an opening opens up, will see that 
effectively is an opportunity to go for blood because Usongezo is not strong enough. How then do right. we engage those employees who at different stages will need different assistance, mental assistance in particular in counseling yeah. related EAP, and not be seen to be weak by colleagues or not to mm. be seen as weak by the employer who will then think twice about elevating Usongezo to the deputy MD, a position otherwise is infinitely fit for. 100%. I think the first thing is to correct mindset. There is a lot of, of the stigma and victimization sometimes around how people utilize wellness programs. And in some places, unfortunately, so there is a culture of belittling people who utilize these conversations. I really love to put in words of a fantastic researcher here, Brene Brown, who talks about vulnerability, not weakness, and corporate culture needs to change the narrative. We are conditioned mostly in corporate culture um, to come in guns blazing, resilient, stoic, and not show emotion. And that's been part of the problem, Songhezo, because by the time we are actually trying to resolve all the crises we've been trying to hide for months, everything is already crashing, and physical symptoms often tend to follow mental distress. And this is why we often you cannot outrun your problems. They catch up with you physically. So what happens is eventually there's a manifestation. And unfortunately, I hate to say this and, and, and be almost a gender, um, a gender advocate here, but we tend to see that pattern more in men than in females at the workplace, where someone's going to eventually manifest with a stroke or a heart attack at a very early age. And they were seemingly just perfectly fine. So one of the biggest things that I usually really, really stress when it comes to the impact of corporate wellness programs is that when you normalize the language, that actually looking after yourself allows you to be in a stronger position. And that's why I said in the beginning, the leadership buy-in at the top is important because if your ex believes that you shouldn't show emotion, you should show up for work no matter what, and the world might come crashing down and you might end up in ICU to prove your value, then of course no one is going to be using those services and the company will be worse off in the long time. Um, they'll be losing employees to either death or disability. And nobody wants that. I mean, we had one IT company having almost 10 of its middle managers, mostly male, having heart attacks in the space of two years. And I'm saying no one is left to run the company after that. So the language has got to change in companies to allow employees to know that vulnerability is strength, that seeking help is important, because when you actually track it long-term, those are the employees that recover quicker, learn resilient tools, and they can cope with stress, and they deserve the promotion. Fascinating. So essentially, there is an indictment then. When you start seeing particular services in the wellness space being used at an increasing rate, that to an extent must be an indictment on the employer, surely? Yes, so when it, especially if you look at mental health. And, and there are two particular things that I think are important that the employer must spend time reviewing and revising if it can. <clears throat> One, if there's an increase of burnout. Um, in the course of the workplace, and it's picked up mostly through EAP counseling and mental health programs. The second, if there is a sudden increase in especially what I call divisional acute stress. So if suddenly there's a lot of um, poor performance in a division and they're citing stress as the reason, it often masks things like relationship conflict. So sometimes it's very difficult to report, for example, that you've got a poor leader who's maybe failing to communicate in one area or the other, but suddenly you've got the whole division starting to collapse where it used to perform well. So interpersonal relationship issues at work tend to show up as stress or burnout. 
And I think those are two very key areas, just to give two quick ones, that employers should be paying attention to. Because if something like that escalates and it doesn't get managed, what tends to happen is you start to lose your top talent. Doc, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, especially for your dynamic voice and experience. I think you can come back anytime and engage us on these topics because the more we engage COVID parallel to that, the more we have to be honest about these kinds of conversation. It's only a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on the show. They call her Dr. G. That's why. Thank you so much, everybody, for your time. 9.32. It's time for a bedtime story.